This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Chicago. This is the Harusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. And I'm Kalman Warch. Kalman, you did me such a, a program called On Principle, which we've done 60 shows already. And the most recent program was a program about diversity and inclusion in yeshivas. And I was interviewing, but as you know, Kalman, I'm not much of an interviewer. I'm much more of a um, Okay, I'll let you talk a little bit before I jump on top of you uh, and, and, and try to contradict you or get a word in edgewise. With, but it was basically an interview of uh, the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Shmuskeist, as, who, as he says, had been Rosh Hashiva for 20 years. And the program, uh, the, the reason I thought you would find it interesting, by the way, was because of the criticism of the yeshiva system of promoting the son-in-law's as Rosh Hashivas, as opposed to necessarily the biggest Talmud Chacham. But that was just one aspect of the show I thought you'd find interesting. But the show was basically about, as this title suggests, what can we do to sensitize Bochrim, and I guess even in seminaries as well, although we didn't speak about that, to the inclusion of people of color who are increasingly, I don't know what the rates are, we're increasingly joining uh, the ranks of yeshivas and schools, and what can we do to um, uh, sensitize the students used, uh, and, and to uh, address what Rabbi Skaist felt was a problem waiting to happen. Um, and we talked about possibilities and why why this is an issue and why what, what's wrong with the system and what some options about that. Um, I think I did a pretty, that's a pretty fair summation without giving away everything. But I know you got a chance to listen to this and uh, you told me that you really wanted to talk about it. So go ahead, tell me, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to hear your, your, your educated critique on this point, on anything that was in that program. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate the platform and I'm, I appreciate your willingness to talk about this. But I did listen. And uh, yeah, I originally was listening for the purpose of that issue, which I, I do think is an important issue of uh, who our leaders become. But essentially, your whole program was a, ended up becoming a discussion about race. And, uh, and listening to it, I found myself becoming increasingly bothered by what seemed too great Tamid Chachamim, and uh, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, I know you very well, and I appreciate not just your, your Torah knowledge, but uh, you know, your, your intelligence and your uh, everything. You know, I, I have great respect for you. But listening, I, I became very bothered by some of the things that I was hearing, and it felt like I was listening to two Rabbanim who really know the Torah well, but stepped outside of their Torah and sort of were 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 issuing forth ideas that weren't that wouldn't, in my in my understanding, conform with the Torah's perspective on the world. And, and I, I'm I'm going to elaborate, but but I, I really think that the danger here is much. More, and if I may, may I can I go on a long rant? Would that be okay? It's fine. I'll just mute myself and get a cup of coffee. Um, just like the old DJs that used to put on the song American Pie and take a big break <laughs> and then come back. But no, no, because uh, I'm going to have to listen to your rant anyway before we uh, upload it. But go ahead. I'll listen to it live. Go ahead. Uh, listen, you can put on a seven-minute Bohemian Rhapsody and have a longer cup of coffee. <laughs> It's a very dark part of American history, and I, and I do appreciate the fact that people today can say that, that America wasn't in its best place then, when you take any group of humanity, any group of people, whether it's because of their religion or the color of their skin or any other insignificant, really, um, um, factor in terms of how you treat someone, because you shouldn't treat someone based on those factors, and, and, and yet in this country, there was so much racism. and. Dr. Martin Luther King, all credit to him and to all the people 
who were part of the civil rights movement. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I'm going to say something to that some of the listeners are going to, when you hear it, you'll say, that's not true. It is true. And the only reason why you think it's not true is because you, and I don't, I don't mean you, um, Rabbi Avram Kivilevitz, I mean you, the listener, there are there is a machine out there that's trying to gaslight you and trick you into thinking things. And if you don't think that that's true, then you're not in this world in the way that it is. We know that that's the way the world is. Racism ended. Now, let me say what, let me explain what I mean by that, because people say that and then it gets misunderstood. It does not mean that there is no racism in this country. You've got, if you take 100% of the, of, of any society, you will have 25 to 30% to 40, I don't know what the number is, of people who are cruel and wicked and violent and evil. And they need an excuse. They need to find a way. They need to pick on someone. They need to pick out the zebra in the herd. And so what they will do is pick on someone who's different. They will pick on someone who doesn't fit with them. Those that are people who have that personality. And those people are racist. But this country... This country as an institution stopped being racist when there was no longer actual rules and laws that separated and said these people get treated this way and these people get treated that way. That ended. Now, the outgrowth of the previous racism, which is that the um, people in urban areas don't have the same access to things, that that uh, certain communities, especially in the African-American communities, were, were, um, the education, the prison system is, is certainly slanted in a way that hurts the African-American communities and there needs to be prison reform. All, all these things are true. All these things are true, but they are a result of an old racism. But the kids that grew up in the 80s and 90s were colorblind. Let me say that again. The kids who grew up in the 80s and 90s were colorblind. I remember that there was these changes that were happening where all of a sudden everyone was represented on cereal boxes. And at first when that happened, there was a sort of reaction of that's silly, but it wasn't silly. Because what it did was it created colorblindness. You want to know how, how incredibly colorblind America became? America became colorblind when in 2008, it elected its first African-American president. And, and who elected him? Not the African-American community, because they simply don't have enough votes. White America, and not only white America, but the majority of voters voted for an African-American president. That, that means racism was over. It ended. And so when you were talking in your, in your um, program about how when, there were, when you went to Cheder and there were Abayim who were making racist jokes, that didn't happen in the 80s and 90s. It did happen in the fringe schools, the extremes, the places like in the Hasidic schools. Because remember, that's the 20, there's always going to be a 20%, those people who are so insulated that they have such difficult time handling anything that's outside their familiar that that they that they make racist remarks and I'm not excusing it at all and they need to be taught better and I, I think they are getting better at it but that's not what's happening in your standard schools go talk to the kids in the 80s and 90s who, who grew up there they did not hear this kind of jokes from your standard rabbi again outside of the it was gone it was over and now what what happened is and um, during this movement of, of uh, in the United States towards the end of the you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, moving in that direction it, in those years, what was introduced into, an, into the United States of America was a new approach to racism. This new approach suggests that it's not enough to be colorblind. Because if colorblindness was all that was required, we're already colorblind, and we just need to get everyone else to join in. Because even though the country as a whole became, again, this doesn't excuse racist police officers that still existed. It doesn't excuse racist actions and anti-Semitic actions and anti-Asian actions and all the other things that were still happening, but they were fringe. They weren't the institution. And people say, well, there's institutionalized racism. There isn't. There's still the uh, fallout. There's still the remnants. That's still what's left. But the actual, and here's what I'm talking about, the feelings within people 
90% of your police officers don't even see what color the skin of the person is. Your 10% are raised, I don't know if the number is 10%. It doesn't matter what that number is, but it's not true as an institution. But what came along in 2008, 2009, and et cetera, forward was this new theory that actually the African-American community is suffering, which it still is from the fallout of the, the lack of resources and access to education and all the other things. So what they decided was, we're going to change things. We're no longer going to be colorblind. We're no longer going to be colorblind. And in fact, we're going to go in the opposite direction. Every person has a value. That value is based on how much they, as in, in, in terms of the group they identify with, is a victim of some kind of oppression. And based on that and how much you've been a victim of oppression, that's how much you need to be entitled to and represented and receive. This is what we call, um, what's referred to as equity as opposed to equality. It's equity. That means equal outcomes, not equal opportunities. And it's because since you've suppressed the African-American community so much, you've imprisoned their youth, and you've, you've um, taken their education away from them, you now need to compensate for it. In other words, we're ignoring the fact that none of the people involved in this process are actually racist, but you need to make up for the um, results of this racism that's here. And therefore you, all of you, need to give up of your own rights and privileges and share it with those who have previously been hurt by all these racist ideas. That's the concept. Of, of equity, and that's what's being pushed. And what happens is that we have a society that's moving away from meritocracy, from you getting what you get because you worked hard to receive it, and we're going back into what is a form of reverse racism, which is that you get based on the color, and I'm not get the, the questions of whether, well, should it be like this? Should it be like this? Should the African-American community get this? Should the white people have to give up this and all? I'm not even complaining about the numbers. What I'm saying is that there shouldn't be any more white people and black people because that concept disappeared. Color of skin is irrelevant and it, people realize it's irrelevant. And other than the racists who are still out there, most average standard normal people no longer see color and we are trying to force them back into it. No, everyone has a color. Everyone has a value. Everyone has an identity. And that's the issue with identity politics because what identity politics says is remove the inside of the content of someone's heart. Ignore all that. We now have to stop the most important factor, the num I'd say the primary factor in hiring, the primary factor in every area is, is are the minorities proper, not on a cereal box, which is not a, a meritocracy. That's a representation of a society. Yes, we should have everyone represented. But but to say to say that that because of that you have to have one one African American man, one African American woman, one Asian man, one Asian woman, one one this, one of that, in every it's 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 almost a silliness, and it's almost as silly as if the National Basketball Association would say that every team of five players needs to have one African American, one white person, one Asian person, one one Latino, and one and one Australian person. That's every basketball team has to be that way. And you're laughing. I, I didn't say you're laughing. That's what you're doing in every other area. That's what I didn't say you. That's what they're doing. What has happened over the last 20 years is that the media, which, and I, I say this, I mean, you've, you've, you've admitted to reading The New Yorker, right? The, the New Yorker, CNN, and Fox News is no better. They're just doing the opposite thing. What they're all doing is they are no longer reporters. They are no longer reporters. They're all uh, politicians. They all have not just a slight slant like there existed in the 70s and the 80s. But now the, 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 the left media, CNN, is an extension of the Democratic Party. And Fox News is an extension of the Republican Party. There are no longer reporters. And yet... People listen to them. People listen to them and watch them, maybe because there's nothing else. Maybe they like to be entertained. Maybe they like to hear their own opinions echoed back to them. Maybe that's why people are listening. But the media is no longer giving you the truth. And yet, the people who grew up in the 60s and 70s 
continue to trust because that was the media that they had in the 70s that was the media they had in the 80s and um and it, it's incredible how they've slowly walked you and that's why i call it gaslighting they've slowly walked you into this by telling you that if you disagree with what we're saying you're a racist when in fact they're the racists they've turned you into racists but by because they're repeating the same idea over and over again they you start to believe it that's my rant and now to go where the discussion took place, and I was listening to, to your program, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing these ideas being presented about how the country is really racist. Sheker v'chazah, that is garbage. It's false. And I can say this because I didn't walk into this country. I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I don't have that same sense of just deep um, and familiarity and deep connection to the United States of America because I'm British, but but I see from the outside, the people who do, it's, it's gone to a place where it's in their neshama. And hearing two, I mean, I, I, I think you're one of the greatest Tamidah Chachamim I know. But to hear Tamidah Chachamim spewing something that I couldn't even handle Don Lamont saying, and, yeah, or Chris Cuomo Right, like that's who you guys are echoing, and it, it was it was dirty to me. So, uh, first of all, thank you for taking over so much of the program, and this way I uh, save my voice for other endeavors. Uh, I don't know what show you're listening to, uh, I, and again, I I encourage all uh, the people in the Illinois Center for Jewish Studies who are going to be hearing this, and of course, people on our platform to listen to the program, and they will see that. Um, you know, I think maybe you could imply that Rabbi Skaist is, is closer uh, to what you are describing. And he was talking really much more about what he was encountering in 20 years of education when he found the kids would come in and make racist comments. Um, he was talking about the fact that African-American and students of colors, students of color, uh, were finding themselves uncomfortable. Now, if you, if you listen to the program, you heard me say that I felt that they were enthralled to society. And because, and I was actually criticizing, maybe not in the same strident way you did, but I was criticizing that society. I mentioned Gene Roddenberry, which I call post-racial um, and beyond race. Um, and um, so... I, you know, again, I, I think what happened to you, Kalman, was that you heard echoes of that zeitgeist. And I think we, because we know, and I'll admit this much, because we know we are broadcasting and podcasting into a cloud where anybody can hear it, we probably do inherently know, oh, there's certain things we can't say anymore. There's certain things that we need to couch in certain types of language because of the backlash. But right. everything that you've said, just let me finish here. Everything that you've said, I agree with. I happen to be someone who, as you heard on the program, and I talked about my props, growing up in the South, having African-American friends, being repelled by what those vestiges of racism, which I actually think was, I was kind to my teachers who I feel I understand why they still express that because they had been through terrible times. There is an ugly side to the civil rights movement. And since you were, weren't even alive, you were in a different Gilgal, you don't remember that, yes, there was definitely the right side to be on. But there was also a lot of incidental ugliness coming from the right side as well. Right? Meaning that as in the civil rights movement, there were riots. Those riots, people were killed, businesses were destroyed, white people were beaten up, um, and and especially Jewish kids in downtown Baltimore. And I was trying to explain why I thought in the cities of the Northeast, there still remained in the 70s and 80s those that vestiges of racism in, in a very strong fashion. Okay. And, and I, I do want to point out, it was very clear to me, and it's always been clear to me, that, that, that you were 
you're someone who gets it, meaning that you t- you, I hadn't heard you say this before, that even as a child, you had African-American friends. I, I don't know if that ever came up, but I, I would have guessed that if someone would have asked because you are someone who who understands and looks past uh, and sees the inside of a person. I just know from that from you as a person. So I would expect that of you. And but let, but let me say it's something better. Let me say it even better. And again, it's not about me. But I think one of the things that growing up as a as a young boy in, in a in a what became a black neighborhood, it, it was an adventure to find out about that culture. I knew what pot salad was. I knew what collard greens were. You know, it was it was an adventure to actually come into a, an African American house and smell certain uh, cooking that I wasn't familiar with by the when I go home. So I, I was always very curious and curious in a way that I found very gishmak. Look, when I was a kid, we 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 read the the, the book Sounder. Now you might know what Sounder is. Sounder was. Uh, uh, a, a, a book that described the African-American experience, I think in the, in the beginning of the 20th century, about a dog, but it's also about that family and what their struggles were. Um, and like as Rabbi Kibalevich versus Rabbi Warch, I'm not, for the sake of the program, I'm not going to argue against that. And I'm going to let people listen to the program. I don't think they're going to hear what you say they heard. Um, I will say that I was not forcefully pushing back, but part of that is because, as you know, this that program is not this program. This program is about disagreements between chavrusas. That program is to let educators have their say and let educators talk about what they see as challenges. And I'm going to now challenge you. Do, do you. Don't you think that there is a challenge when someone appears different, either with as someone from an Asian uh, Pacific Island background or from African-American background, and we want to uh, embrace them and bring them into the yeshivas, is, don't you believe there is some element of, of difficulty integrating them? No. Uh, let me answer that straightforward. I- I'll say yes, but no. That's my okay. straightforward. Okay, so... Yeah. so, what, so what do I mean by that? Here's, here's what I'm saying. There is there is a concept of of um, of racism, and then there's the concept of of being very isolated and and insular. I, I, I think that people confuse the two. Let me explain what I mean. There is if someone would come into yeshiva with a giant ear, one giant ear they would have the same experience as the kid who comes in with the dark skin and the kid who comes in with the, with the, with the um, uh, you know, East Asian eyes. To the, uh, they would have the same issue as the person who comes in with, uh, with um, South American skin. It, 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 it's about anytime you have children. And let's understand that, that children are children. We need to teach them better. But children will naturally look at something that they're not familiar with, with curiosity. Now, we have to teach people better. So I think, for example, what you mentioned, I think it's incredible. I think every yeshiva in the world should have it. And I commend you for it. The African-American um, film class, which, which I think is a really clever way, especially since you picked uh, um, the, the specifically the film you chose, was one that, that helps the Jewish kids kind of see. And you know what happens? They go, oh. Some of their experiences are the same as ours. And then that all falls away. It's not racism because it's not because they were raised under the impression, I'm not saying they aren't, but the gen, when, when the kid comes into yeshiva, there may be a kid whose father is a racist, who makes racist jokes. And, and, and that kid is going to make racist jokes because he thinks that's what he needs to do in order to earn his father's respect. It, it's, but the rest of the kids, it's a curiosity and we have to teach them better, but it's not racism. It's okay. just they're not familiar with with, with right. people. But we, with right, but we know that even again, the again, applying titles and isms is something that the 20th century uh, developed. Right, there was all the 19th or 20th century, it proliferated, and it's become uh, endemic that we always put these titles. You're yeah. right, but, but I all, think it's called titleism. <laughs> so what can what can we do to 
create more sensitive students to students who appear different. That's okay, really so, that's really the question. That, well, that, and to that, I think I think that the actual problem, the one that you and Rabbi Skates should have been discussing, and I would ask you to have a class on it or a, a discussion on it, is Midos. Behavior and ethics. I don't think we're teaching our children. We're so focused on, on, on learning Torah and understanding the Rashi that, yeah, we'll have Midos programs where you have to do something nice, but the real concept of appreciation and sharing and, and looking at your neighbor and empathizing, that's the issue and that's the area. And I think you're confusing with racism and that's my Okay, so l- let me go. With, there's two possibilities here. One possibility is what you just said, which is, oh, the kid looks different. What can we do in teaching Midos that a person doesn't jump to the conclusion, you're different, I'm better than you, let's team up against you, we don't like you, you're, we're scared of you. So let's teach people better on a, uh, on a primal level that to fight sort of the Yetzirah that, that humanity has. I mean, look, evolutionary sociologists will tell you that because of the way you look, you there's this, and this is part of what this critical race theory is based on. There's always elements of real science there, which are expanded and bastardized. So there is an aspect that a person that looks like you, that seems to not be threatening, you are evolutionary um, uh, programmed to trust that person. Okay, it's all part of a certain, you know, right, mentality. So therefore, when these children see something that looks different than what they've seen in their crib and in their uh, little apartment they grew up in, hmm. So, uh, so now the question is, your common work says, okay, so we need to learn Midos to, just like we're Gaber on a beautiful woman, misgaber on Chemnesamamon. We have to be misgaber on that tuna, right? That misgaber on that tuna to marginalize and see that person, person afterwards. Okay, so now I work on that. Now I realize that I'm not going to let that work. The same way I'm not going to start going to to, to to Hooters. I'm not going to. I'm going to realize a ben, a ben Torah has to be makabel that everybody is biachad, the schus of all, Claudius Rhodes, etc. So that's one way. The problem with that way is, is that just like the beautiful woman is going to be Mayuriyar Taiba, but you're Ms. Gaber, the person who's different is going to generate within you, hmm, that guy's not me. I, I should maybe marginalize that person, maybe not, maybe not be friends with them, whatever. Uh, I don't know if I can trust them. So I need to use the Musra. What Skaist and I were talking about was it's like lab rats creating an environment where that doesn't even happen. Now, why won't that happen? It won't happen because even at an early age, now that is what the inclusion clause is. Wait, wait, just let me finish here. The inclusion clause that you mentioned, the cereal boxes can do, which is even though, you know, like for example, let's assume that, you know, and, and I see this all the time now on the commercials that I'm forced to watch, there's so many biracial couples in commercials now, right? So the biracial couples... By the way, no one's forcing you to watch them. Okay, right. I, I hate them. But the point <laughs> is, though, when I see them, I realize what's going on. What they're trying to do is what you... And feeling very Europeanish, and we've talked about that. I also feel, because my kid, my parents... I don't know if they planted me there or I searched it out because of the, the untold hours I, I spent absorbing from media. Those were the twin uh, parents that I had. I had my parents. And as the youngest child, I didn't really see so much of, of a whole family unit. But what I saw projected made a difference to me. And I think that's another reason. Uh, and, 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 and if we can replicate that, I think what we can do is we won't, that's brain science, because that means that the kid doesn't even grow up necessarily thinking that that's different. Now, the big, the big, the big giant ear that you mentioned, or a nose the size of a cauliflower, okay, that's going to be very difficult, because we know that that doesn't happen. But the, the, the features of an African American, which are distinctly different uh, in their classic shape than, uh, let's say, a Scandinavian or a white person. If we somehow do, that's what the, the, the idea is. Now just okay, so let, let, let me say this. There's, I think we're putting two different things together. The, the idea that we want to teach our children to have better mythos and better ethics 
that, that they should behave better and respect hum, another human being because they are created no matter no matter what you know they're associated with that's an important idea and we have to teach that to them and if you're suggesting a program that helps kids get over this particular and i'm going to call it that a yetsahara the yetsahara to to look at other people as less than if we've got a program to do that then by all means, listen, you could do this by having special programs in schools. You could do this by, 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 um, and I think that if we would have the Jewish children's books include um, kids of, uh, of color and, and kids of that because we want to teach about, and we should have in the same way books about kids with disabilities, which we don't have. We don't have the kids reading popular books about kids with disabilities. And yes, the big nose does happen. The big ears does happen. It doesn't happen quite like that, but it happens differently. The kids who have a speech impediment suffer terribly. Worse, worse than any African-American kid who's passed through the school system is a kid with a speech impediment. And there's something wrong with the way that we're raising our children if a kid is not safe in our schools because he was born with an inability to speak the same way. So I, I think you're right. If we would introduce that into books, that's one way of doing it. And I'm not the education expert uh, who can tell the world that this is the best way. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're actually an education expert. So if you, if you tell me that the best way to reach children and change this is that, I'm fine with that. No, no, but, I, but, I'm not saying that. I, I, that is... I'm ans- saying if you would. That, if that's you would. ancillary. I think there's a way to even go pre that stage. There's a way through there's a way even before even before you have to teach them musa there's a way that that, to nip it in the bud and and let me just the point i'm agree i've agreed with you on that what i'm what i'm concerned about and that's where the line that's where things fall over and you're right critical race theory uh, identity politics nothing will ever stand up to any group of humanity, if it doesn't have kernels of truth in it, if there aren't elements in it that are actually important. And I think that's part of the problem is that people throw the whole thing out. When they hear this, they say, forget it. You know, you have to, but that doesn't mean that everything that's in that place is good. What I'm talking about where you cross the line is when you start saying that because of that, we're going to offer people something, whatever it is, that they're not entitled to as a way of evening things out, that's evil because now you're going away from people who work hard and now you're going, and what you're doing is you're starting to to specifically say that because this person has a disability, therefore they're entitled to more, not equal, but more, and more means more opportunity. That's where it crosses the line. And that's where I think that where that mention of maybe we should have more, maybe we should have a Rosh Hashiva, you know, maybe, maybe, um, that idea that we should kind of push it, someone in, now if they deserve it, they deserve it. We're not talking about that. And just and someone could deserve it. But what, what you're specifically suggesting, not you, but what was suggested in that yes, program. Yes, I suggested it. I suggested it as a possibility that, uh, and again, that there should be a, if you believe in this idea that, or, or you believe that this is going to be a problem, a way to subvert it, and is that and it might not. It'll take a while. Is that when a that to make it a more normal situation that in a tzevet of rabbonim, we're going to see darker faces, and we're going to see people from there because. And then it might not be this generation, but a generation to come will take it as granted, and therefore their concept of a yeshiva will include people of color. Now, yeah, that, so, that does that's a mean... That's idea. That's it. Anytime any person gets passed over by someone else, anytime ever, even once in history, someone gets passed over, not because they deserve it less, but because that person has some kind of irrelevant factor, that is theft. And that's that has happened continuously in the yeshiva world. And that has happened in the yeshiva world, in the rabbinic yeah, world, I, for I'm hundreds... Gonna, wait, since the time of Shmuel Ben-Ali of Baghdad from the Rambam when in Fastat 
as I said to you before. I knew you were going to go here, so I was going to preempt you. I was going to say, I'm not saying that the way they're appointing Rosh Hashivas now is with any kind and of... And for the last system. thousand years. Yes. And uh, for the last yes, thousand years. Absolutely. And we should have, maybe our next discussion should be just on that. I, I'm suggesting that for next week's discussion. You know, who, who we've appointed as the Rosh Hashivas. But, but I, I'm not saying we're using a good system, where in fact we're not. We're not. The greatest Tamim the Chachamim, the greatest teachers are not who become the Rosh Yeshivas, and it's, it's, it's really, really sad. But that doesn't mean that replacing it with another immoral system is in any way better, right? What, what, what it should be about is, is the, way, the way that it was um, originally intended, which is that, that if, it's, if, 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 the greatest, if the greatest Talmud Chachem in the world and the best teacher is Devorah Hanaviyah, then she's going to become the Rosh Yeshiva. That's what Kal Yisrael did. We turned around, we looked around, we're like, who knows Kalatarakula? Who's the best teacher? It was Devorah. So a hundred years into our existence, we appointed a woman. The, 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 right? problem, here, the problem here is now that we we're speaking as rabbis and as people who know a little bit about Torah, that the Rabbani Shalom sort of complicates this. Because by, by talking about a melech, who vizara Acharov, right? Or by a koyed, right? Or talking about who vizara Acharov. Uh, uh, it, 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 it floated the idea, despite the fact that Chazal says, no, the Kesar Torah is called Misham, is Munach for everyone. However, the, uh, the, the idea which conf- got conflated was, well, you're not just a, a Kesar Torah, you're a Manig. As a Manig, as a leader, oh, that has Dinam of Malchus. Oh, Dinam of Malchus, then the first ones we go to is the child. And if the child is Roy, even though there's someone else there. Well, the child is not terrible. I mean, he's a pretty good teacher. Yeah, I, I, I think we should save this for a class. On the but, but, because... but that is why this, it, it isn't so. That's why I agree system... with you. The system is off, and, and we need to figure out a better and, and, way. And, and, and it isn't a modern issue. All I was saying was is that we consistently, as much as we say it's a meritocracy, we know it's not. And especially, let's talk about the Chesidah Shevelt for a minute. We know that in the Chesidah Shevelt, for Shaduchim, for who becomes Rosh Hashivas, even in the great Chabad, who are the greatest Makarvim in many ways, the people who come from Balichuva uh, families are consistently left out for mystical halachic reasons, as you yeah, know. I, I, think, I think this needs its own discussion. Well, okay, I want to bring it back but to wait, the wait. The point, though, is, is that, hmm, it's not like everything is a meritocracy anyway. So I if, agree. I'm not. If, so if that. that's not, if if it's not a meritocracy, that's this, a terrible then, argument. Then this, uh-huh. then the same way, it's not a meritocracy. Is there a value? All I can tell you is, I would Let's be making a meritocracy. I, I would be way. very happy that in the seventh, as I said on the program, when I was in yeshiva, the only African Americans we saw were the kitchen crew. We're the maintenance crew. And we treated them, although I was coming from my own sort of liberal background, I ended up being like everybody else, treating them in a, a, a dismissive, what I would say is sort of a, a monstrous way when I look about it. Because here I was, 14 years old, saying, hey, Jones, what's going on, man? Give me skin. Right? Would uh, I but that didn't happen in my generation. It didn't happen. It certainly wasn't anything I would ever consider okay. doing, and and, and it, it didn't. I did, there were there individuals, yes, but it was not the common thing. There was a there was a sense of I'm telling you, it's 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 mamish mamish terrible how everyone's been gaslighted, almost like and I, I'm I want to say this because I'm not a psychologist, but it feels almost like people don't want to admit that racism ended because then it would mean that they're old. And so what they want is to bring the world back to the 70s and, and, and bring it back to this place and pretend like that's still happening. Uh, in the way, again, I think people are going to come at me. What are you talking about? What about this racist incident and that racism? Yes, there's so much racism in the world. So much. We need to end it now. But in your, you walk down the street, it's no longer true that when you're walking down the street, and an African-American walks towards you who's dressed just like you, that you step to the side because you're scared, that doesn't exist anymore in your normal, average, basic society. Look, 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 I, don't know, look I don't know if that's true. I think as many, and, and maybe these incidents have been fostered by 
the critical race theorists and by the media. But we had the incident that happened in Central Park a couple of years ago where, sure. where, 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 where the woman calls, she calls the police because a black guy is walking over there. Right. Right? But the fact that it's an incident and then a big deal was made about it is the proof that it's an isolated case because every time it happens, there would be big news. And if it is big news, because it happens once a year or twice, three times a year across the country, the, telling me there's a racist in Central Park. Wow. Shocker. There are loads of racists and those people need to be taught and those people need to be educated. And those people need to be, in some cases, punished. I'm not, not taking when that's not what we mean. We, we're not changing a system right. because there are racists. We're changing a system because we're claiming the race, the system is promoting and encouraging racism. And that is a trick. Well, like, like, like I said, Kalman, I, I, this is, I, I cannot put this as me versus, you can maybe put it what you want. All I'll tell you is, is that, um, you know, the, uh, uh, one of the things which I think we need to discuss further is when, when we talk about education, and I know this because I'm a victim of it, um, and, and, and I, look, I'm going to admit, I, I would have been a victim maybe even if I would have, I would have had the fountain of youth and never gotten old. But one of the things is, is that what we see in many of the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael, especially the ones who are trying to get students, and they didn't know their way around, uh, you know, they didn't have the look that appealed to Rabbi, to Bochrim, we know that there was an agreed upon in many schools, okay, we've got to get rid of these old Rabbeim. We got to bring new people in. Yeah, yeah. in fact, but I wouldn't say it's a matter of old and young, because I think that there are old Rabbeim who are young. Right? There are Rabbeim who are in their 70s. And I see this. I see Rabbeim in their 70s. They're on the ball. They're with the kids because they're learning. They're growing. They're growing with the generations. The, the, the 90% of people don't want to shift. Exception 90%. that proves the rule. Just like you about the same. I agree part. with you. That's I exception. I know that when they're looking for the talent, the power brokers are looking for young people. Right. And, and, and that caused many people of my vintage uh, to go become podcasters or whatever it was that they were going to be, but, be, but 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 they were they were shunted out, and I think and, and I can understand where they're coming from because ultimately there is a value, and the value is well we we want the kids to feel connected, and it's important they feel there's a young person there, and because of that, despite the fact that the other guy knows more in learning, despite the other guy can do a was better and can maybe explain things in ways that are even deeper and more connected, this is a greater value. So, Kalman, grow up. We are constantly putting these values here. Is it so strange? Is it racist to say, hmm, well, maybe let's introduce another value? And the same way we're going to have guys that are nice and young we're also going to make sure that there's representation no, because of African American. No, that's a merit. If someone is able to better associate with the youth, now they may, again they may be miscalculating. I think <laughs> we need to leave this. They're they're making the wrong hash because they think that that skin color or in this case. Um, um, lack of wrinkles makes you better able to associate with the youth. And like I said, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. You can have a 70 year old who can associate with them better. I'm not, again, I, I, I do think we, we, we need to have this discussion, but it's a separate discussion of, of whether the current system in place, I don't agree that it should be based on age either. Ageism is another ism. Right? Everything's an ism, as you pointed out. Uh, ageism is also wrong. Saying that someone is so, not so okay. Able so, to so common, let, look, look, we got to wrap it up. But the value is here. The value of oh, the kid relates to him. You know, we go to the old rabbi and we say, "We're sorry. Listen, we know how great you are. It's not your fault." Unfortunately, we have to bring kids into the school, and we need to uh, we need to have a. Uh, uh, a population of students to be matzik the the institution and, and and this is what kids relate to we, we have rahmanis we understand maybe we can still give you something on the side but we got to keep the school going we're sorry that's going to be what the guy has to hear in the same way somebody can hear and say look it is important that we sensitize students to this idea i'm sorry that you're the carbon other qualified person but the more studies show, the more we see how natural it is to have an African-American person be a teacher, be a Rebbe, be a mashkiach, the, that, that value will be promoted. And that's Nothing a va- will ever be worth 
critical race theory and identity politics. It's not critical. It's, it's it not is. Critical. It is because what it's essentially saying, what what it's saying, and it comes down to that. And I understand that. When I say CRT, people are going to come after me. That's not technically what it means. It's the whole approach. It's the attitude. So you are, people can play words and can get into semantics. The point is, anytime, anytime that you offer as a moral high ground, a non merit-based system, and you offer it as a moral high ground that is the undermining of the essential morality of the society, because you're not just saying, hey, this is convenient for us. You're saying this is the right way to do things. And when you teach people that people should be judged by the color of their skin, whether for the positive or for the negative, you emphasize and you're redrawing the lines. You're drawing the lines. That's what you're doing. You're saying these are black people. Calvin, you're, 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 really, Calvin, you're letting, this, you're it's, letting it's rhetoric. You are letting rhetoric it really, I think, poison your, your straight thinking because it's not about no. rhetoric. Calling it moral high ground. Look, having kids who like their Rebbe, which we talked about of having a younger person, it's, you could also dress that up as a moral high ground, right? The moral high ground of having students. And that's who wrong love. too. And they're wrong too. They're right. wrong too. Right. It's, well, it we're be the talking- best teacher. Whoever is the best teacher, whoever is going to give them the best road to success, that's who should have the job, and not the person who's connected to to someone and the board, not someone who's who's um, <laughs> uh, you know um, you know whatever, not all those things which are the. I'm I'm not defending that. That's terrible. It's one of the reasons. Maybe that's the reason why we still have so many racist kids you, you, because you. we don't have the best teachers. But the, the, but going in the other direction is wrong, and I, I feel, especially here in Talmud HaChachamim, that's not the Torah's view of things. The Torah the Torah goes out of its way. Love the stranger, love the stranger, and include them within you. But the Torah does not say, and it warns us over and over again, but the Torah does not in any place say that as a result of this, you should give preference there isn't. There's no such example. It's because the Torah understands that we need to all treat each other equally. Kamocha means everyone should treat each other like they would treat themselves. Don't have to treat someone better because their grandparents were victimized. Everyone should just be the same and let's move on. But people can't move on. And I get it. People have trauma. They can't move on. But don't put your trauma on me. Don't make me, my children, have not the best teachers because you're dealing with some trauma. The difference difference between the best is so small because we're not talking about taking someone just because he's a dark-skinned person and placing him in front of a Gemara class. We're talking about taking a person who is, is quality but this is the way Rabbi. It doesn't matter how much left. And again, if oh, come on. You know, you're no, really. It it, no, because uh, it's, about, it's about the principle of it. You're passing over someone who deserves it more. The person who deserves it should get it. And, it and never happens. It, never, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Let's fix you're, that. Let's fix that. Replace that's not going to change. You're saying, we're giving it to the wrong person. Let's give it to the wrong person with this advantage over the wrong <laughs> person's that advantage. But, but like, and you know what? If you did that, it wouldn't even be so bad. But it's sold as the moral high ground. If you would say, listen, we're, give, we're putting in the wrong teacher, let's put in this wrong teacher and sell him as the wrong teacher, then fine. But you're selling him as... Don't call it morality. <laughs> call it a way to, to, to exterminate what we know is the no, last vestiges of, of racism. Evil. You can't exterminate evil with further evil. You can't get rid of racism with racism. It doesn't work. You can't get rid of racism. Getting rid of racism you, you, means moving towards color blindness. And anytime and, you're and, saying this person, because he's black, that's the opposite of color blindness. And you are reintroducing. And I want to say you're literally teaching your children that there's a difference between people of this color skin and people of that color skin. You're in reinforcing what you spend 50 years trying to get out of your children. You're literally reinforcing that. You're saying to them, look, this person, look at them. They are black. And you, you don't have to say it, Calvin. The problem is, again, re- your, your rhetoric is getting the better part of you. You're becoming too literal. All this does is, is send a message without putting it on a flag without making a big deal about it. The kid shows up and there's a black Rebbe. There's a black Mashkiach. 
And uh, okay, and well, then why, why is he the mashkia? If he's mashkia, what do you mean? He he's you know what? This you got to believe, Kalman. And that's something we're not talking about taking. We're not talking about taking stuff. That's exactly what you're talking about. No, we're not. Deserves it. Of no, course, because, he should have it. Because you have no one's questioning that. If you've got someone with darker skin who deserves to be Rosh Hashiva, of course you make him Rosh Hashiva. That's not what's being suggested. What's being suggested now? If you'll tell me that the Rosh Hashivas should do a better job of giving an option of marrying their daughters to someone from this, we also group, said that, that. We said that. I too. heard that, and I agreed with that because <laughs> if he's if he's deserving, he's deserving. That's right. That's not what you're talking about. And again, let's be honest that's not what you were talking about what you were talking about was elevating someone in order to make a statement and that's that's i didn't say to make a statement i said to make a change in mentality without putting it on a flag your problem is that you think everything is a statement it's not a statement what it is you're doing you're accomplishing the opposite you're accomplishing the opposite because anytime you're Focusing again, I want to say this. It used to be when you walked into a room, yeah, what you Muslim. would look at is these are people, those people. Today they're being taught that's a black person, that's a white person, that's a person who's tall, that's a person who's short. That's how our kids are being taught to think, and you're promoting that. Again, I think we're going to Sharm isn't going to do it because it hadn't hasn't done it in the past. I agree we, with you. We need better programs. But that the one you're suggesting is not the and, right. And I'll just end with this, because it's my show in a way to end, because I edit the darn thing, and you don't, right? But here's the thing, is that Torah has its own power. So when this black mashkiach, this black Rebbe, speaks in Torah, as, as I said on the program, everything gets dissolved. Okay, was there someone just as qualified to give over that Torah? Yes, but he's the Tzinor. We chose him, and now I can see that person as the Tzinor, the chef of Torah. And you're right, there's someone else who was passed over. He'll have his Oyelamaba as well, but the students will be able to drink in Torah in an honest, real way, and they'll say, wow, the Kli that gave me that Torah doesn't really make a difference. And eventually that can make a change. And I think that that's important because we're not talking about getting a position on a television show. We're talking about being involved as a Rebbe, giving over Torah and ideas, which ultimately, despite the fact, the crooked way, as far as you're concerned, of how we got there, but once, if he's L'Shem Shemayim, the Torah is beautiful, then the message is doubly impactful. What he said is great. And I also subliminally see that it doesn't make a difference who I'm hearing it from. And therefore, I recognize that the real only value is the Kedusha and the idea of the Torah. And this, this other vestige of racism crumbles away completely. That's the idea without making it sound as a moral high ground. Well, he is my very excitable uh, uh, social critic and uh, cogent thinker, Kalman Warch. And my Chavrusa, the uh, cultured Southern Rabbi Kivalevich. <laughs> That's the best you can come up with today. Take care, my friends. We shall see you next time. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.